0: So I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, my mom was texting me pictures of uh, 18 years ago. My family uh, had the opportunity to visit the nation of Israel, and we uh, had some pictures being on the IDF base and, and talking to some of their soldiers and, and being entertained, and, and I found it very timely just given uh, what has happened recently. So most of you are probably aware that, that last Saturday, uh, the Palestinian uh, group, if you will, the Hamas uh, Created uh, what is uh, largely known as the largest um, slaughter of Israeli people since the Holocaust, and so this is a super traumatic thing. Being uh, ethnically Jewish myself, some of you uh, might share that with me. You might have friends, family who are over there visiting. Um, and one of the things as Christians that we have the ability to do is to bear burdens with our brothers and sisters across the uh, across the globe, and with those who who may not even believe. And uh, we have this thing called prayer, and prayer. And just for what's going on in our lives that we can intercede. And some of you have uh, emailed me, texted me, messaged me, hey, like, like, what do we even pray for? What do we even do in these types of situations? And I uh, have found it um, kind of comforting to use the words of St. Augustine who said this, talking about uh, this is what praying for hope could look like. Uh, He says that hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. If you ever uh, visit Israel, if you ever uh, meet any of uh, people who, who have that heritage, you, you might know that they, they greet each other with the word shalom. Uh, and, and we maybe sometimes think it just means, hi, hello, how are you? But it's actually a word that means peace it means wholeness, but it also has this connotation all the way back to when God created. When God saw that things were good, he created in this word that means shalom, which means wholeness, goodness, in perpetuity. And And so the Israeli people, the, the Jewish people have adopted that phrase as a means of, of who they want to be. Now I say all this to say, I'm not saying that uh, the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel have always been 100% pure, upright in their decisions. But what I want to do, I want to invite you all to pray with me this morning. We're going to just start off the the message in a in a word of prayer for um, the nation of Israel for the, the the evil the grievous things that are happening uh, again I don't even want to go into it because some of the stuff is so utterly despicable and disgusting So here's what I'd like to invite you to do I'm gonna I'm gonna pray I'm actually gonna kneel myself uh, If you would like to do so in your seat you can and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for us by reading through one of our psalms Psalm 11 you can also Psalm 6 Psalm 11 are great psalms if you ever find yourself in that So I'm gonna kneel invite you to pray. Uh, with me this morning as um, I'm going to lift up this Psalm 11 as the start of our prayer uh, this morning. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings. They shoot from the shadows at the upright heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, What can the righteous do? The Lord is holy in his temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He absorbs and observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. On a scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice, and the upright will see his face. Lord, may this be our prayer. May this be a, just a moment uh, of something in our own hearts that represent uh, we are not alone in this world. We are not alone uh, on this uh, on this world. That there are those um, who are in pain and suffering and trial. Who who evil is winning the day? And we pray prayers of protection. We pray. Prayers of justice, we pray. Prayers of comfort for those who need it, but we pray a, a prayer of peace, that your shalom would be given and restored. Give wisdom and guidance and discernment to the governing officials, both here and, and across in the nation of Israel, as what to do. Lord, we know that, that wickedness is vile in your eyes. We know that, that war is tragic in your heart. We know that those who, who kidnap Everything else that has come along with it goes against your will for humankind. And so for that, Lord, we we pray your justice, and we pray that you are a God of wrath. We also thank you that you are a God of love, a God of grace, a God of redemption. And we remember that this morning as we pray on behalf of those in the nation of Israel. May we not lose sight. In our own comforts, in our own safeties granted and given, in our own liberties in this country, may we have the ability to uh, stand firm. Even though we might not ever step foot on that soil, we can step foot on the spiritual soil which unifies and bonds us together. May you be glorified somehow through this madness of this craziness. May you be given the right of your justice. And may your holiness win the day. It's your name that we pray, amen. Mm. Imagine with me for a moment, there was a sovereign God. Imagine with me for a moment, there was a God who who knew everything about you. Imagine there was a God who, who knew every thought, every action, what you have done, are doing, and will do in your life. Imagine then uh, that that, that because of your actions, that separates you from, from standing on the right side in relationship with that God. Now imagine though then that same God out of his love and out of his grace and out of his mercy said, I'm going to devise a way to fix this. Imagine that God then gave part of himself, gave wholly himself in the form of a man. Imagine that man died on the cross for your sin. Imagine that man preached the gospel messages that the dead become alive, that the lost be found, that what is broken be made whole. And imagine then that God said, I'm going to live with you, I'm going to give you myself, my spirit. And then imagine that God said, You get to take part. I have a plan for you to take that message of life and goodness and restoration and you get to play a role. And then imagine that God said, by the way, I'm not going to call you to do anything or everything beyond what I have equipped you for. And then imagine that God said that same spirit is going to overtake your soul. And then imagine that spirit said, I'm going to give you as an individual a specific gift, special abilities to take that message of love and to make it a reality, to make it tangible. Imagine just for a moment, that was the plan. Would you be interested? Would you want to know more about those special gifts, those talents, those abilities that the spirit of the living God might have given unto you? That's where we're headed today as we continue our teaching series through 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible and I hope that you do, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're picking up here where kind of we left off uh, last week. We are in week 19 of this teaching series called True North, trying to discern what God said to the ancient church and court, how to apply it to our lives so that Jesus uh, becomes our worldview, that Jesus becomes the filter and through which we see all things. And so a couple of things. Number one is if you missed last week's message, we talked a lot about spiritual gifts. What are they? How do they function? And on the back of our message discussion guide, our note sheet, we kind of gave you kind of those notes again if you missed it. I highly encourage you to pick one up on your way out the doors if you didn't grab one this morning. Number two, give me one, everybody hear me when I say this, is I'm going to give you the application for this message right now. Just mark your calendar November 12th. If through last week's message, sometime uh, today, maybe in the coming days, weeks, months, as you study this passage more, if you want to know more about your spiritual gifts... If you want to help kind of discerning what are they, how do I put them into practice for the sake of the common good, as Paul says for the church, coming up on November 12th, we are offering this kind of first thing, beta testing it, called first fit. And so I'm just saying, if that's you, just just sign up for that as it comes. It's gonna be on during one of our Sunday morning services. We'll have more details in the next week or two. I can also just say is like if you're kind of been sitting here and you've just been kind of playing church, but not actually in the game, and you want to just say, I don't even know where to start. I just want to do something, um, you've come to the right place, we can put you to work. Uh, there's like 5,000 kids back there, you know, somehow it doesn't burn down on a weekly basis, probably because it's made of steel and concrete instead of wood. But uh, other than that, uh, like, like sometimes the best way to discern your gifts is just to start serving, and then we can help you navigate it from there. I got a lot to get into today, that's the application though. You can put it on the Connect card, find somebody after service. I uh, would love to talk to you about that. First Corinthians chapter. 12 is kind of where we are picking up, starting in verse 12 today uh, of our passage. So this is what Paul says, kind of part two from last week. He says, just as a body, on the count of three, everybody say body because it's going to be a key word for us today. One, two, three, body. Thank you. Just as a body, the one has many parts But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we all baptize by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many." My first kind of point for us today as we talk about what does this look like? Spiritual gifts, the body of Christ, is simply this is that unity, Paul says here, is necessary. There is one body, many parts, but there is a oneness that they come around. And something that I think we lose sight of as disciples sometimes, something that I lose sight of from time to time, something that you might lose sight of if you call yourself a Christian, is that you are a part of something bigger. Uh, you, we, we have the term the body of Christ, sometimes referred to as the church. Sometimes it's referred to as the flock because we are sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes we are referred to as the bride because God is our groom. We are the bride of Christ. But we use that probably term the most, that there's the church, there's the body of Christ. This is kind of where it comes from. And Paul says there needs to be unity. There's a surrounding oneness around a body. It's kind of one of the reasons like I like sometimes we get very personal in our faith, do we not? Well it's my faith. It's my walk with Jesus. I don't you know, you some people go as far to say, and maybe this is you, maybe you're navigating through and say, well, well I'm right with Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need to, to go to church, be a part of a church in order to have a right relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, you can maybe be made right, but you belong to something bigger and better than yourself, and that is the body of Christ. See, when it comes down to it, it is church is a team sport. Faith is a group activity. Like, when we sing songs and they have, like, those singular pronouns, like, I'm just going to be like, you know, I know a couple weeks ago, kind of whatever, right, here we go, It's like it just kind of drives me wild because church is a team sport. We are many belonging to one body because unity is necessary. Some of you might recognize uh, this uh, Hall of Fame legendary basketball coach. If you know his name, shout it out. Phil Jackson, arguably the greatest NBA coach of all time. He has 11 NBA championships, uh, six with the Chicago Bulls, five with the Los Angeles Lakers. I'll let you determine which of those were more impressive. The West Coast one probably. Okay, I might be a little biased. It's just me. The thing is, is uh, Phil Jackson came to both of these teams when they were already extraordinarily talented. Extraordinary. By the time he got to the Bulls, they already had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. By the time he got to the Los Angeles Lakers, the first kind of go-around, they already had Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. In the second part, they had Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol. The thing is, is what Phil Jackson did differently is how he coached. And he coached both of these teams a little different. When he got to Chicago, the whole goal was the team to be unified, that there was one alpha. His name was Steve Kerr. No, I'm just kidding. was Steve Kerr. There was one man, and we all know it to be Michael Jordan, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, that everybody needed to play their part in support of MJ's prowess. When he got to Los Angeles, it was a little different. You had two kind of alphas kind of needing to learn how to play together, but he emphasized unity. In his book, Eleven Rings, he talks about that the number one thing that held both of these teams back with the talent they had was that they needed to be unified. And so Phil Jackson was known as implementing this thing called One Breath, One Mind. It's a Buddhist thing. Again, we're not going to get into that. But kind of what he did was this idea, we did this to form a unison together. And some of his most common quotes, a lot of the players say, is he often said almost every single practice that the strength of the pack is the wolf, but the strength of the wolf is the pack. Everybody has to be involved, but everybody has to be united In pursuit. The Apostle Paul is virtually saying the same thing. Unity is necessary. You can have all the different talents, you can have all the big muscles, you can have all the different things, but there must be a oneness, a unity. That's why the Apostle Paul says here uh, uh, in, in chapter 12, very similar to what he says to the church in Ephesus, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Because think about what we are rallying around here at this church. We are not rallying around me. We are not rallying around this building. We are not rallying around even our families, although that's very important. What we rally on, what we stake our flag on is that we have one mission given to us by the Spirit of the living God, which is to help each other follow Jesus. Period, end of discussion. That's what we rally around. And so what we need to remember is that, that, that as one, we are not in this for you. We are not in this for, for me. We are in this for Christ. He is our king. He is our Lord. And we rally around his spirit, his mission, his heart, everything that he wants to see fit. Like, like we don't, tr- hopefully, like we, we desire excellence, but like we don't rally around trying to put on a good spiritual show for you guys every Sunday. I'm just going to call it for what it is. We just don't. That's not what we rally around. We don't rally around hopefully making sure we have the best coffee in town on Sunday mornings because we don't. We just flat out don't. What we rally around is the name of Jesus, that we are one as the body of Christ and we would do well to remember that unity is necessary because a dismembered body is completely useless. This is what Paul says next, picking up in, in verse 15. Verse 15. He says, now, if the foot should say, again, he's being hyperbolic here, body parts can't talk except for like one, right? Okay. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, I would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? So as there are many parts, there are one body. So here's my second point for today. I believe Paul, number, number one, said unity is necessary, but number two, he's saying that diversity is vital. Diversity is of the body is vital. He says in the same way that the body has many different parts. He says there's many different gifts is what we're gonna see. There are different types of people who belong and have a place and are vital to the body functioning well. In the same way, multiple body parts play together to keep you alive. You have many different body parts that function in unison. They are diverse in their necessity, but they are all extremely vital. So hear me when I say this, is, is, that, is that you are vital. You might come in here on, on a Sunday morning, every other Sunday, once a month, whatever it is. Let me just say this to you. If you call First Christian Church your home church, you are vital. If you call any church your home church, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are are immensely vital to the body of Christ. Okay, everybody, I want you to do a little imagination thing for me. I want you to close your eyes, everybody, close your eyes, okay? And I want you just to picture your favorite meal, just just in front of you. Okay, you got it. You get out. So I just want to give you some time. Picture your favorite meal. It just got brought out. It's on a gold rimmed plate. You got fancy silverware. Uh, maybe it's just in a in a paper bag. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's steaming hot. It's warm. If you're there and you're thinking of a kale salad, we'll pray re- uh, re- pray for you to repent because that should not be your favorite gift, favorite favorite meal. Okay, now, now, what I want you to do, what I want you with your eyes closed, I just want you to imagine taking a bite of your favorite meal, okay? So so, literally do that. If, it, if you need to pick it up with two hands, and or if you need to cut a little piece off and place it delicately in your mouth, maybe a little to wash it down, okay? Everybody do that. Just go ahead go. I want you to mimic taking a bite of your favorite meal. My eyes are open. Your eyes are closed. There's not a whole lot of hands moving, okay? Come on, people. Think about that. You can open your eyes now. Think about what it takes for you to just take a bite of your favorite meal. It starts in your brain to say, hey, this is good. We should eat it. This ain't going to go to waste. This is my favorite meal. And then your hand reaches out with muscles at the right amount of of depth perception to either pick it up or use a fork to poke at it. And then it does the opposite, brings it back to your mouth at the right amount of speed, not too fast, maybe a little slow so you can kind of salivate watching it come into your mouth and you place it into your mouth, and your jaw muscles begin to work, and you got teeth that begin to break it down, and then as it gets at that perfect amount that your brain just knows, your esophagus begins to work it all the way down into your tum-tum, and when it's in your tum-tum, the acids and the enzymes break it down, and then you know the rest, okay? This is church. We're not going to go there, although we do sometimes because that's where the text does, not today. And what I want you to think about is all that goes into it, When we think about eating, you might think of your stomach, you might think of your mouth, but you don't think about your fingers, the little muscles in your hands that play a part. Every single part is vital. The diversity of our body parts are necessary. If you didn't have eyes, it would probably be very difficult to eat. If you don't have hands, I'm sure you could figure it out, but it's going to be a lot more difficult. You see, we tend to not think about the smaller parts until something goes haywire. Anybody in here ever lose an appendix or have an appendix rupture? I never have, but it just sounds absolutely painful. We have this tiny little body part that has zero ability for us at this day and age, and yet you don't even know it's there. You don't even care that it exists until it goes haywire. And then you're like, get this out of me! Right? We don't notice the small parts until something goes wrong. And the same goes in the body of Christ. We are not the same, but we need each other. Apostles need administrators. Prophets need shepherds. Helpers need leaders. Leaders need helpers. Those speaking in tongues need interpreters. And on and on and on down the line. It's not just about having gifts. It's about the diversity of the gifts. And diversity is vital. There's a diversity in gifts. We learned that last week. There's probably over 20 different gifts that the Spirit of God, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you might have. But it's not just the diversity of gifts, it's the diversity in the gifts, the expression of gifts. For example, you might have, like I do, the gift of prophecy, the gift of preaching. Now, the expression of gift, I kind of want to just clarify this from last week. Like, that doesn't mean you have to be on a stage to use it. You might proclaim truth to your family. You might proclaim truth to your community. You might proclaim truth to a neighbor. The expressions of our gifts, the diversity is there. But diversity doesn't just stop in the gifts. It extends to people. Like one day, we will spend, hopefully, you will hopefully spend eternity with God. And when you get to heaven, every tongue will confess, meaning every single different language. And you will spend time worshiping God with people of every single complexion of skin tone with you. Every single language hopefully spoken on earth will have people represented. There will be people who never took a breath in this life they're worshiping Jesus with people who live to be over 100. There will be men. There will be women. There will be people who are gender confused who, who make it because they trust in Jesus. There will be white people. There will be black people. There will be Hispanic people. There will be Asian people. There will be Israeli people. There will be Palestinian people in heaven worshiping Jesus because diversity is in God's heart. And he says, I have given you a body to express that diversity as well. Unity is necessary, diversity is vital because we can't go at it alone. Picking up in verse 21, my last part of text for today, uh, while I get there, hey, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Nothing. Some people get really smart when they do this, right? What's the sound of a homeschooler giving a high five? Yay. Okay. Anyways, moving on. If you homeschool, sorry, that was for you. All right, verse 21. Verse 21. This is why, this is why diversity is important, people. Okay. Picking up verse 21. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern. It's this Greek word that means anxiety. We should equal anxiety for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, if you are in the body and each one of you are a part of it, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, he says, being rhetorical there at the end. So here Paul's saying, let me just talk to you about why it's important. Let me talk to you about the diversity of gifts. They all have a place to play. How many of you are board game people? You enjoy playing, playing board games? Good, good amount of you. Um, what do you think the most popular board game of all time is? Turn to your neighbor, tell them what you think the most popular, most widely played board game of all time is. I'm going to show you a picture here in five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. How many of you got chess right? Most popular board game of all time. Some of you have a board game. It's for only smart people. No, 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 no. I don't know. Okay. Most popular board game of all time is chess followed closely behind by checkers. Um, if you, like, you know, like most of us, probably maybe don't play chess, you might have said this as the most popular uh, board game of all time. How many of you guys said Monopoly? Did you guys know this guy actually has a name? His name is Millborn Pennybacks. So next time, you know, here's a fun fact. He was actually modeled after J.P. Morgan. Um, and maybe you're like a, mo- a modern board game player, and so maybe uh, when you think of board games, you think of games more uh, like Settlers of Catan. Catan. I don't know which way to say it. Uh, this is the one game that literally almost got me kicked out of my family like three years ago. I, like, blew up at my mother-in-law because she was taking so long. This game went on for, like, four hours. I was this close to winning, like, four ways in a row. And she kept blocking me. And then finally I was like, stop doing it. We, we, let's just go to bed. And she, but she had no idea what she, she was doing it on purpose. Okay, anyways, great game. You should play it sometime. Brings families together. Okay? When I think of board games and I think of the body of Christ, I, I, this is one of my favorite illustrations. We've used this before. But it's the game Mousetrap. And the game Mousetrap is essentially what's called a Rube Goldberg machine. A Rube Goldberg machine is a complex machine that comes together to accomplish one task. And the way that it works is you go around the map and you put together this little thing, and all you're trying to do is capture a mouse. And if you've ever owned this game, you know one crucial element about this game is you get to play once until something breaks or you lose the little metal marble, right? Like literally, like I went to grab this out of our cabinet this morning, and it was missing. So our kids were like, we're not going to just break pieces. We're just going to get rid of the whole game. We're just going to lose the whole thing. Seems fitting. You, see, you see, see, Mousetrap, the way it works is every single little part is necessary, and it's intentional. If you put the machine together, but you remove the little bucket, or, or you take off the little rubber band, it won't work. It might get halfway there, but then it's going to stop. You might get the ball all the way down the little ramp, but if that part is missing afterwards, it's going to stop. And the same thing goes with the body of Christ, is that our diversity is essential for our functioning. Let me put it this way, is that diversity functioning in unity is the strategy. Diversity functioning in unity. Many different parts coming together for one sole purpose. The Apostle Paul, he's fighting back against the Corinthian church. Some of them had selfishness for their gifts. They wanted to use it only for themselves. I've got this gift to make money, but I'm gonna spend it on myself. I'm not gonna use it to benefit the church. Other people had the gifts and they only wanted to be known for. Like, I've got the gift of prophecy, so I only wanna be somebody. Let me know. I'm only gonna show up if I got a microphone in my hands. And Paul says diversity, functioning, in unity is the strategy. Because what happens to a part of the body that decides to go its own way like if you just took your hand and cut it off and I got a knife backstage anybody interested? no? okay you cut your hand off and you just leave it on the table what's going to happen? this isn't a trick question people, Jesus because we're in church, no okay it's going to die, it's going to wither up and die and you might think well that sucks for that hand but the same is true for the rest of the body because now that body is less effective or efficient because it's missing a hand What do we call a body part or an organ of the body that decides to do its own thing? To go its own way? We call it cancer. See, what cancer really is, is is a part of your body deciding not to play a part with the rest. Cancer sucks. I lost my father to cancer as a young boy. Had to watch him wither and die in front of my eyes. Some of you in this room, you might be battling cancer yourself. Some of you, you might have a loved one who you watch and you lost them to cancer. You might be trying in a, in a relationship with, with a spouse, an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, somebody who, who you're watching cancer take apart their body. When a body part decides to be greedy, when a body part decides to be selfish, when a body part decides I'm in this for me and myself and nothing else, we call it Cancer. We want to get rid of it. That's why the Apostle Paul says it's not just about unity and oneness. It's not just about diversity. But that diversity comes together to function in unity. That is the strategy. So as I close my message this morning, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider this. Is that if every single person who called First Christian Church their home church discovered their spiritual gifts, put them into practice, treated this body like their own, gave to it, served it, loved it, invited others to take a part. We would never, ever, ever have to ask for anything. We would never have a a lapse in, in people who are lonely, desiring community because we have people exercising their gift of hospitality and we have a place to put them. People have the ability to make money. They can come forward and say, look, this is God's. It belongs to him. He's given me this gift and we can do things across the world. We could do things across Champaign or Urbana. If we had every single person who called First Christian Church their home functioning in their gifts as a part of the local body, every person would be cared for. New ministries would start probably on a weekly basis. Community would be in abundance. Fighting things together would just happen. And so, if you come to church to fill your spiritual batteries, if you come to church to get in the holy huddle so you can go home and feel good about yourself, first of all, welcome to First Christian Church. We're glad you're here. We love you. But second of all, your body needs you. It always has, and it always will. We are in this for one purpose for dead people to become alive. We're in this for one purpose to help each other follow Jesus. We're in this for one singular, mission-oriented, vision-targeted focus. So the love of Christ may transform souls. So are you in the game, or are you just playing a game when it comes to the church? What would it look like if every single one of us knew, understood, leaned in to this body as if it was our own? I'm going to close with this. Apostle Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians, we're going back to chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to read this as we prepare our hearts for communion. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. He continues, So the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. You might be here this morning thinking, well, I don't really know what my gift is or I I think my gift might be a little small. It's not maybe as popular, whatever. I want to share this story as we go into communion. This is a, a handmade card see so I'll kind of point at the camera here we go. that was given to me about five years ago when we were uh, over in Urbana. And we had this woman who attended our church who had the gift of, of making things of crafts. And she gave me this card early on, just to, as an encouragement. I've kept it. She wrote it in front and back, uh, "You know exactly who you are, um, and you are probably watching. She doesn't live in here. But she moved down to Florida. We love you. We thank you for you." And she made this card, and then she put a note in here. And she said, if you would like more of these, I can make them. And at that point, I was in the habit of writing first-time cards for people who visited and um, something that we were trying to get back to. And so, so people would come and I would write them a note from one of these handmade cards. And they were gorgeous, beautiful, very intentional cards. And I share this because I wanna share a story of what happened merely as a result of one woman deciding to share her gift with her body. She made a card, gave it to me and said, if you'd like more, I can make more and I'll just drop them off. So she made dozens of them. And one time I wrote a card to uh, this young gal who, who came to our church. She was uh, at school at U of I for the time, being and then she she kind of uh, was, was just going to be with us for two years and she was kind of exploring faith to the point where she gave her life to Jesus and she got baptized and we were baptizing her. And, and, and I had a conversation with her the next day. Her name was Faith. I said, Faith, like, well, what brought you coming back? Like, I'm just curious. Like, I'm always curious. And she said, Well, you know, I've been coming for two years and I tried a bunch of different churches. But then when I got that handmade card in the mail, not a regular postcard, that somebody had the forethought to make something intentionally for me, I thought, this is a church that I wanna be a part of. And I came week after week after week because of that call. And in week after week after week, hearing messages about how Jesus loves me, died for me, has a new plan for my life, I decided to be baptized. Never underestimate the power of your gift. Never undersell yourself, never minimize what the spirit of the living God might want to do through you, with you, and in some ways for you. By saying there is one body, are you taking part or not? Let me pray for us as we go to Jesus worship through communion this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you, we thank you. Jesus, that you died for us, that 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 is the greatest gift that we have received, the greatest spiritual gift, if you will, Lord, is that you died on a cross, your son Jesus took on the punishment of our sin and our debt and our shame and now you call us sons and daughters of the most high God because you have triumphed over sin and death, but we don't have to imagine if you invite us into something else, we don't have to imagine if that promise will ring true we don't have to imagine if we have a purpose in this you have said as much and I thank you for that I thank you for your your grace that sustains us every day every moment every decision thank you for this body I thank you for those who know their gifts and use their gifts on a regular basis to help each other follow Jesus I pray how your spirit is moving right now in this room, moving online, people who are listening, watching, whenever it is that you are convicting them, hey, you got to get in the game. And I pray, Lord, that, that you make it abundantly clear with anybody who hasn't yet stepped foot into faith that the gift of your son, Jesus, is truly the greatest thing that they can receive. May they wait, not wait another second, another day, another moment to determine what that is. God, we praise you. We worship you. Do a work in us. May we be obedient to your spirit because we don't want to just be people who are alive and hanging out and high-fiving one another, but we want to take part in that greater mission to help lost people be found, to make dead people alive, to see broken things made whole because we believe that you are with us. We worship you now. The that we pray.